0: Hello there, welcome to the Tech Means Business podcast. This is a series of podcasts in which I talk to interesting folk at that particular conjunction between technology and business. Today we're focusing on one of my favourite areas of technology and that's the use of all things tech in the medical sector. I've spoken on a number of occasions to people from Prospection, a data collection and analysis company that works specifically in the medical sector. I'm joined today, uh, always a pleasure, by Eric Chung of Prospection. Eric, welcome to the show. Um, I wondered if you'd start with just a, a brief autobiography, who you are, how you ended up at Prospection.
1: Uh, sure, thanks, Joe. Um, so I started out my career as a engineer, uh, but I was working for a technology consulting company. So I was working for Accenture and started off my career there, but then had the bite of the entrepreneurial bug and left Accenture after the first couple of years and then have been running my own businesses since in the last 15 years. Um, now, originally, the first business was in the underground mining sector. Um, then I did some stuff in, in finance, and then I moved on to do this prospection business in healthcare data analytics.
0: And so where would you place yourself in a company? Are you more of an entrepreneur or are you um, a tech guy?
1: Naturally, I'm more in the technology space. I'm more in technology, analytics, data science, product is more where I lean. So originally started out my journey programming robots to play soccer. So that more that technology leaning and then became the more of a product guy is is where i would say that what i where i lean like i have rapport for our i can get into a sector have rapport with our customers and understand what their products what their pain points are what their job is and then come from a from a technology lens and know how to use technology to produce products to help make each person's job better in in their jobs.
0: And so if there were such a thing as an elevator pitch for prospection, how would you describe the company and what it does?
1: Um, The elevator pitch is under the the hood, prospection has access to a lot of patient data. So we track nearly half a billion patients from around the world now. So it's 5% of Earth, their data comes through our database each month. And we we never know who anybody is. It's always de-identified. But there's a big asset there that we then analyze. And we analyze it disease by disease to see how patients are treated for their disease, what treatments that they go through in their patient journey, to look at really which ones work the best for the patient and get to the best health outcome for those patients.
0: Now, a month or two ago, Eric, it was multiple myeloma month. Uh, before we can go any further, I think we'd better clarify what is multiple myeloma and what are the treatments typically used to treat it?
1: Yep, so multiple myeloma is a type of cancer. So when we talk about cancers, we often talk about solid tumors. So that's a solid cancer on your prostate or something like that. Or We're talking about blood cancers, so hematological cancers. So multiple myeloma is one of the blood type of cancers And multiple myeloma affects the plasma cells, essentially, in your blood. Around the world, there's about 160,000 cases each year is sort of the burden of the disease overall. And multiple myeloma is a very interesting area to study because as you you asked about the treatments that have come in the area, there is a lot evolving in multiple myeloma. It's one of the areas that have gone from your chemotherapy treatments so your more advanced treatments and now it's a space where you're going to have your CAR-T therapies come in which is sort of the where they take the blood out of a person make a specific treatment for that person and put that back into the person so it's it's a area where the treatments are getting a lot better and pushing into some very advanced treatments.
0: Now I'm assuming that there are a number of factors that affect uh, both the treatment types chosen and also the outcomes. Um, the one that immediately springs to my mind is the geography. Where you are in the world, for example, will affect the treatment that you get. So what are those factors?
1: Ah, uh, Absolutely. It's an area that, that has a lot of factors impacting it. So I, t- I, I alluded to before that we have up half a billion patients, like 5% of Earth comes from the data. But, but each of that is from different countries, like you talk about. And there are differences in how healthcare is, like the healthcare ecosystem, how the government runs healthcare in each country. That makes a difference. There's also differences in privacy in each country that makes a big difference. So although I talked about half a billion patients from around the world, absolutely the data is quite different in each of the countries. Um, And I may give an example. So if I talk about our home market of Australia, where we first started, Australia is a single payer universal healthcare uh, healthcare system, where when we did a deal with the government to access the data, what's really nice about it is it's complete for the whole country. And you don't get any gaps in the data. And it goes back a very long time. So we get data for something like 17 years in Australia where we can track all these patients. And what's really nice about having a complete data set is that you can also analyze when patients are not taking treatment, so when they have been successfully treated and are in remission states. But in a country like Australia, where it is population-level data, the privacy levels are very strong. So there's a lot of governance to do with making sure that their data is being used for benefit to the nation type work and that patients are protected. Privacy is protected. Doctor privacy is protected. You know, hospital privacy is protected. So we, we have that as one spectrum where you have very clean, beautiful, long data. If I go and talk about on the other extreme data from America, the data from America is enormous. So of our, Half a billion patients, 300 million of them are Americans in the in the data set. And what we see is something, you know, almost some of the cons of the Australian data set are pros of the American data sets, but some of the but and vice versa. What we see there is the doctors are actually named. So the the, the privacy laws in the country are different, such that patients still need to be identified and unnamed but the doctors can be named and so then you can do analysis down to individual doctors and individual hospitals Um, but what happens is it is not your single-payer universal healthcare market so you we do not get a complete longitudinal view of the patient and so what i was saying before is in australia we can measure when a patient is successfully not taking a treatment and has reached achieve remission or has been cured, it's harder to do that on the American data set where patients, like the data comes from the insurance coverage and patients can change between insurance companies as they change jobs. And so you will see patients come in and out of the data sets. So you talked about sort of what's driving some of the differences geographically. It is part the healthcare ecosystem of the nation Part the privacy policy and governance policies of the nations that ends up leading to some you know some reasonably really big differences in the data in each of these countries
0: yeah, I can see the difference between those two specifically uh, as being a complicated area, for instance, in America, a treatment might stop because a patient changes insurers or changes jobs and therefore changes insurers, whereas in Australia a patient might stop treatment because they're in remission and the treatment has been successful.
1: that's absolutely one of the strategies that prospection uses of how do you add additional data sets to the data to complete that picture. Right. Um and so that 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 is actually a trend that we're seeing in the market now. And one of the capabilities that we've we've now enabled at prospection. So if I I can give a example from america where you get the baseline of you know 300 million patients and here is actually some of the insurance claims data but now the insurance claims data is your baseline you then enrich that data with more so one more factor is the clinical data coming out of the the electronic medical records or some of the social determinants of health so coming out of other systems that they interact with or well, some of the other things is how do you then include imaging and then you include genomics data eventually for these patients. But how do you do that in a way that still maintains all the privacy is how do you connect two systems of data um, within the same country? So how do you connect an imaging data set to an insurance data set whilst maintaining privacy about the patient? That, that's one of the aspects that's happening now or how do you how do you link that to social determinants, right? So what I mean by social determinants is perhaps their income levels, like what income bracket they are in, or what state they live in, or whether or not they're a smoker, and here's some of the other social determinants that we connect it to. Because as you connect more of that data, you can start to get into some of the various different confounders that might be the other drivers as to why patients are getting good or bad
0: outcomes. So I'm assuming then that you can take patient data from one geography and extrapolate from it and then apply learnings from geography A to geography B, for example.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and that is a way that one of the things that prospection has done to be able to lean into the differences within the data sets as a strength rather than as a possible hindrance so if if you combine the strengths of those two data sets in australia i talked about very nice longitudinal complete data but it's not very identifiable which means it's not very you know tactically actionable whereas in america the data set is not as longitudinal but the doctors are named and the hospitals are named so it's very tactically executionable is so how do you get the best of both worlds so I mentioned in the intro that my background was in AI and programming robots to play soccer. Is and taking actually what was once a hobby and applying it to our jobs what we've been able to do is we train some of these AI algorithms on the Australian data set where it's very longitudinal and complete like you you, act, you need that to train AI algorithms so that you're not leaning in you're not getting stuck on various weaknesses in the data set. So we've been able to then train some algorithms to pick out what is the health outcome for the patient on a longitudinal, complete, nationwide representative data set and then take the outcomes of those algorithms, so the output of that algorithm, and then apply it onto an American data set where we don't have all that longitudinality, but we do have a lot of specifics about the doctor or the patient to then find the patients that are the same. And and then navigate it there. So to give an example, and and I'll use multiple myeloma as the example. So in cancer, one one of the things that you look for is how long is the treatment-free remission period, right? So how long was the after this treatment? How long was the patient successfully not needing treatment? So that's something that we can measure on the Australian data set because it's complete and longitudinal. And so then one thing we did was can we train an algorithm to know what treatments for what patients led to longer treatment-free remission periods is? And so that's essentially then building an algorithm to say, okay, for each type of patient, what types of treatments maximized the length of that treatment-free remission? That was something that we could train on a complete data set where you can treat the absence of data as successful remission. And then the output of that algorithm says, hey, the patient's, If a patient has this background, has had these treatments before, and has this age group, and has these other diseases, then these treatments are better for them. That was an analysis that we could complete in Australia, but the output of that is a patient with this background, with these comorbidities of this age group that have had these other treatments, do better on this drug. And that profile of the patient that we found, we can then take to an American data set and say... Show me all the patients that have that profile because they will do better on drug X. We wouldn't necessarily been able to have trained the algorithm to do that on the American data set because we needed that longitudinality and we needed that completeness of you know the absence of data, what I call negative data to do it. And so that was that's our way that we've been able to leverage, you know, the strengths of each country to sort of help in the other country.
0: In my preparation for this podcast, Eric, I read a few of the uh, medical papers on multiple myeloma. And I noticed that at one stage, for instance, a drug treatment stopped at 32 doses. And I wondered at the back of my mind whether that number 32 had been reached as a medical decision or whether it was because, I don't know, funding of some sort, Had stopped. So, for instance, an an insurance company may well have stopped paying out after 32 doses. Is that something that you find that medical data is affected by issues that aren't specifically medical? They are external to the medical problem at hand.
1: We have found this quite a few times, and so I wouldn't say it's the it's it's the norm, but it's absolutely something that is not uncommon. And when we do find this, it is exciting. Because it, it, there is something that you can do about it. So we can return that information and see the outcome of the patient, you know, was affected by a administrative process rather than just actually what is purely the medicine. And so, like, you do see that in the data. And in a way, it's, it feels like, like a little bit, you know, like you can feel frustrated as a patient that that really does exist. Right, as a, that there are administrative processes that get in the way of their best outcome. I suppose our job then is, you know, to find those cases and bring them up. And my excitement, what I said before, is because then it feels like you are making a real difference. You can do something about that. Why are patients stopping at course thirty two? They're stopping at course thirty two because there is an administrative step that needs to be done there to enable them to have the next twenty treatments. At the same time, for a company like Prospection, we feel like we are making a difference to patients' lives when we find that and are able to surface that and make that available to pharmaceutical companies to do something about it and lobby the government or work with the government and change that process so that you can remove some of those administrative processes and highlight them and sort of smoothen the process for everybody um, to just try to make medicine as pure as possible. I understand why some of those processes are there because essentially they come down to a, like there needs to be a cost effectiveness gate. Is because why, like in Australia, why we are able to enjoy that single payer universal healthcare is because there is some cost effectiveness gates that get judged, right? Like, does it make sense for the patient to continue taking this treatment? Is it working for them? Are they getting, a valuable outcome for it and so i see some of these gates need to be put into place like that is why there is an administrative step at dose 32 but i also can see the value that we would bring to highlight here is an administrative step that is impacting outcomes and here is us able to prove that when patients go through that administrative step the outcome is better and when they don't get through that administrative step the outcome is worse to have evidence actually tell the story as to why it is in the patient's interest and in the overall health interest to soften and reduce that administrative step.
0: And once you've got the information, Eric, do you guys publish that? Do you uh, push it upstream to the medical community, publish on websites, give it to pharmaceutical companies? Where is that information made available?
1: Yeah, um, a little bit of all of the above So uh, often, often we we have done maybe 40 publications in the last three years. So our findings absolutely do get published. How they come to those publications is sometimes they are published by prospection alone. So they are published by prospection. There's some R&D that we have done. Uh, Often, actually, this is how we drive the impact of our work. We work with pharmaceutical companies to make that data back available to them. And we work with our pharmaceutical customers to provide that evidence, to provide the statistics behind it, to provide all the methodologies and actually the analysis and the data so that it is robust. And then they, they take it and they will work with others, other researchers, et cetera, to then turn that into a publication to return to the community. So we, we do do both. We do do some of our own. We also do it where we, conduct the science we conduct the analysis and return the results to our customers to to then work with doctors to publish
0: and just to round things out eric if folk want to find out a little bit more about prospection and the work it does in this sector uh, what's the best way for them to go about that
1: yeah i mean there's our website which gives some case studies about what prospection does there's also some forms on our website that you can reach us or email contact at prospection.com and and we can start a you know a conversation of what can be done with our data and how you can get access to it as a researcher, or how we can work with you as a healthcare professional or a pharmaceutical company.
0: Well, Eric, we're coming up on the 20 minutes mark, I'm afraid, which usually marks the end of our allotted time. Uh, I'll have to draw things to a close, I'm afraid, but always a pleasure. fantastic as well to talk about technology that is so obviously and provably doing something positive for humankind as a whole grand words i know but um eric chung from prospection thanks ever so much for joining us today on the tech means business podcast
1: thank you so much thank you for having me
0: and thanks as well to all the listeners out there i hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as i have today join me next time on the tech means business podcast bye for now